Hello, nerds. This is Megan McCarthy Bianc, your book reviewer and author interviewer. Uh, today's Cantina Conversation episode features two guests. We've got Caitlin Sangster and Aaron Reynolds. We met both of these while attending the middle grade panel discussion at C2E2, just recently in December. Caitlin has Baker's Guide to Robert Pye and Aaron Reynolds has uh, his Fart Quest series, and both of them, I was able to meet with both of them, and they took some time out of their day to talk with us about their experiences with writing for middle grade. First, we're going to do Caitlin Sangster, where we talk about, uh, she's actually a, a young adult author, and this was her first book in the middle grade um, age group. So it was interesting to see how her experiences comparing the two, writing for young adult versus writing for middle grade, and you know, we also talk about a one of her projects that she's got going on she has her own podcast where she helps um offer you know critiques of the first chapter critiques for aspiring writers which i thought was very cool um so without further ado this first one we'll have a conversation with uh caitlin sangster we've got caitlin sangster here author of the middle grade book baker's guide to robert pie that's available now um in you just released a young adult novel, but like five months ago. So we can talk about that too, if you want. Um, but welcome, welcome, Caitlin. Uh, thanks for taking the time out to talk to us and to give us a little, you know, deeper dive into what you've been working on recently. And, um, you know, you just recently, I know this uh, was kind of a shift for you from writing for a different audience uh, age, age difference. So I think that's pretty cool. So we could definitely get into that. So um start with like your background and kind of like how you came to get into writing and you know what like your history is because I know that you've got quite a few books published so um, I'm sure you've got you know lots of uh, experiences that you can reflect upon so let's uh, you know let's have our audience get uh, get to know you a little bit better. So my background uh, I mean how far back do you want to go? I, yeah. I've been <laughs> as writing as far back as you feel like talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been writing since I was a kid. I feel like I, I process things through writing. And so I would, you know, pour over like my emails and my notes I wrote to people. I've always loved writing. I never really thought about it as something like people could do because it never felt like books were something I could write. They were like too perfect and beautiful and Aww. wonderful. And like, <laughs> I mean, you don't realize uh, as a young person how much work and how many people are involved in producing a book. But mm-hmm. from from my uh, standpoint, it was like, oh, those must come from like aliens or fairies. I don't know. I love reading them, but I couldn't possibly you know, <laughs> produce one of those. Um, I have an older sister who's also an author and she, um, I just watched her write and struggle for years and years and years. And I was always like, <laughs> I mean, don't you know the book fairies write those? There's no point. <laughs> but then she finally got a book deal and it like clicked in my head. And I was like, oh, I could do this. I could write. And so I started um, taking it really seriously uh, about 10, like a little more than that, 10 years ago. Um, I have a degree in Asian studies for the first. Um, and I lived in in China and Taiwan for a couple of years and speak Mandarin. And the first book that I wrote, it was right when um, people were trying really hard to bring some diversity into publishing um but before Mm. the own voices movement and i didn't know that i had written a book that was fitting into the diversity category i I just drew on my like background of having lived there i've adopted siblings from china um and i just wanted to write a book that that didn't have like all the american stuff that they didn't like um they were all adopted 
later in life. And so they didn't have like the benefit of Western canon to like mm. constantly be understanding references. So like Shakespeare or whatever else, it, it was a much higher, like even reading basic stuff for high school lit, they, they were coming at it from a different angle. And so I wanted mm. to write something that sounded familiar to them. I'm so glad that there are so many more qualified writers who are doing that now, <laughs> who are writing from their own experience and culture. But um, the my first series, Last Star Burning, um, is set in post-apocalyptic China. It's not based on anything real that is happening now, but it is a pandemic book. The last one came out right before the end of the pandemic, right before the beginning <laughs> of the pandemic. So I don't know how people feel about that, but um, it follows a girl who gets cast out of her own, you know, uh, safe haven and ends up having to go out with all of the sick people and solve all of their problems as is, as constantly happens in YA. But um, <laughs> I, I've always really liked writing to the YA audience. I'm kind of probably on the very edge, just like a crossover adult type of a writer. Like she writes The Storm, the one you mentioned. Um, I kind of feel like is an adult book that got published by a YA publisher. And so it's being marketed oh, okay. as YA, <laughs> which is fine with me. I mean, my audience uh, mostly has been YA up until now, but it, it, it is a really big jump to go to middle grade. Um, I found myself as I was writing, trying so hard to keep it uh, linear, like uh, middle grade books tend to be much less complicated with fewer yeah. characters and like they don't jump around as much. Um, my last YA book, the one she writes, The Storm that just came out has, you know, four main characters and they all are trying to steal the same sword. And there's lots mm -hmm. of, there's a huge cast of characters and like really intense deep world building and a magic system that it takes a little bit to get. And then um, trying to write a middle grade next to that. I mean, it was, it was difficult because I was like, I can't have, I mean, um, readers in that, um, in that age group are super smart and awesome and like ready to take on a lot of really interesting stuff, but the stories tend to be slightly less, uh, complicated. There are fewer subplots. And, um, I had to consciously like cut things out as I was writing. I'd be like, Oh, what about this? Or I want to add in this. Or, How about <laughs> another character here? Or, Maybe I should make it a little more scary and violence, but I kind of had to reel myself back on that a lot. <laughs> yeah that's interesting that you say that um because that's like kind of one of the questions I was going to get to is like what you know well I guess we can we can jump off from that because I, <laughs> I had questions like kind of like asking you to compare the two experiences so like would you say that was like the most challenging part about writing for the middle grade or, sh or making that shift was being conscious about what you were including were there any other like challenges that like, came about and kind of like the two-part question, what was like your favorite part about switching gears and writing for this age group? Well, my favorite part about writing for the age group um, is middle grade voice. One thing I just, I love so much about middle grade is that you can be so much quirkier and sillier and funnier. And, and part of middle grade is like cutting through tension and difficult things happening with comedy. So, um, like if you ever watch any middle grade age TV show, like you can have some really scary stuff happen as long as somebody burps in the middle of it and, and everybody <laughs>, laughs. Right. Um, and so it's so fun to just be constantly like injecting that kind of stuff into the narrative. The main character, Evie, who's a baker, she like sees everything like through the lens of like flower and fairies and like cooking. And it was just so fun to have her be so quirky and silly and like want to go fight pirates and, and to just be like a silly little girl who's seeing very dangerous things happen around her, but not feel affected by them. Like she's not yeah. 
frightened for most of the book because she's pretty sure she'll be just fine. And it's, <laughs> it's really fun to come at it from that angle of somebody who just feels like invincible and excited and is able to crack a joke about what's happening as it happens. Yeah, no, for sure. That's a good point. Oh, before we continue on, do you want to give like a brief summary of the book so that like people listening can follow along with the conversation? Absolutely. I just completely <laughs> jumped, jumped oh, no. straight in here with it. It's fine because you well, you were going into some of the topics I wanted to ask about. So it's, no, don't go. Don't worry about it. <laughs> okay. So A Baker's Guide to Rubber Pie is about uh, a young baker named Evie. She's about 12. She lives in this um, the city with her family and they have a bakery and she loves baking, but she thinks it's so boring. And all she wants to do is escape and have magical, crazy adventures. And um, in this world, there are these fell creatures they are all banished to the old forest. And she thinks if she goes into the old forest and catches one, um, it'll make a deal with her to take her on adventures. It'll let her have her ma- have the magic and, and it'll protect her while she goes on these great adventures. And when she finally goes to find one she finds out that there are fell and there are robbers in the forest who have already found one and they're using its magic for really bad stuff because she's seen them and she's seen what they're doing they all want to make her not talk and so she kind of ends up having to go hide and um the adults are being really dumb about it and don't believe her about the magic and so she has to solve the problem Mm. of robbers with magic herself awesome yeah and that kind of like follows along like themes that are really appealing to that age group because they probably you know are sick of being seen as little kids and probably get frustrated when um adults don't take them seriously so i that's really awesome that you were able to incorporate that into your story and i think like just kids of that age group kind of like resonate with those um types of like character struggles so you kind of touched upon this so like how did your writing process change when you were um even though because i imagine she who rides the storm even though it was like released you know back last year except september right mm-hmm. from my my notes here yeah so it was released in september were you writing these at the same time or was it like like how much you know i guess i'm just trying to like compare if you ha- had to switch your process or or learn new skills or learn new ways of doing the same thing kind of close like on top of you know one another with these two age groups but releasing the book like kind of within the within a six months of each other essentially Mm -hmm. so um I didn't write them at the same time um a baker's guide to rubber pie has kind of been a back burner project for me for about oh geez it's probably been since like 2017 and we sold the book about two years ago. So whenever I've been on, I've been on contract, like writing contracted books for that entire time. So whenever I was in between deadlines, this is the book that I would go to oh, okay. because it's one that I was really excited about. But I sold this book about the same time as I sold She Who Writes the Storm. Like maybe there were a couple of months in between. So I ended okay. up being on deadlines for editing them at the same time, mm. which was pretty exciting. Um, and it is a little bit difficult to switch between the two to have like your fun, rollicky, whimsical, you know, romp through the forest um, versus like a fantasy heist where people are like shooting each other with arrows. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but it, I feel like they're different enough. And um, like, I, I was so familiar with both of them. It was really easy to just jump in and be like, okay, now I'm editing this one and I know this book. So especially with A Baker's Guide to Rubber Pie, because it took me so long to write it and it took me a really long time to really nail the the middle grade voice. It went through so many beta readers who were like, oh, Caitlin, you can't have a romance in here. And oh, Caitlin, you can't, 
you can't have uh, so much like horror in here. You need to dial it back. Like it, it took a long time for me to figure it out. And it took a lot of feedback, which is true of any, any book. I think mm-hmm. like, there's so many people who end up helping you to see where you are failing because anything you write, you're too close to see where it's not landing yeah, correctly. Yeah, of course. With those two, especially like, I just feel like I was so in them that as soon as I opened it, I was like, okay, I'm ready to go. (laughs) I think if they'd been more similar, like if it was two YA projects, I probably would have struggled more, but the characters are just so different in the two that. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess it was easier, maybe a little bit, it made it a little bit easier to, to, you know, shift in between like, you know, the, how you see the editing is kind of getting in the zone. And then switching to a different zone, like Mm -hmm. just because it was so uh, different. So what made you like, did you always want to shoot for middle grade or was this something like just a story? And then you decided maybe this would be better suited as a middle grade. Like how did, what made you want to try, try this out? When I started writing it, I started by wanting to try middle grade. I feel like with every project I write, I want, I try to work on a skill like um, for She Who Rides the Storm, I worked on my romance, which I think romance readers would probably still argue it's not a big enough part of the book, but whatever. <laughs> um, when I started writing A Baker's Guide to Robert Pie, the point was I wanted to learn how to write middle grade. And so I was really practicing that voice. Um, and a lot of the mistakes I made were because I had spent so much time in the YA space. Mm. So um, it just took a lot of time and feedback to realize how to reshape it. So it fit the readers that I was actually going for. I love middle grade books. Like all of my favorites, like um, shiny, beautiful first moments with books are in that middle grade space. I remember from um, as a kid and I just, I love like the hopeful, fun, not very many consequences, exciting nature of, of that age group. Um, There's just so many possibilities and, and hope and fun in there. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Cause I did, um, when I, the, your panel, uh, co-panel member, um, God, Aaron Reynolds, I think his name was mm-hmm. with the fart quest book. Yeah. <laughs> that was one thing I did notice about that genre was, um, it is like, that's still so lighthearted, even though maybe they're like in dangerous situations and mm-hmm. they're handling it, um, how they would with that, like level of, you know, rose colored glasses maybe, or, like I kind of mentioned before, like, oh, you know, I hate that I'm just seen as a little kid, like, you know, but then on the other side, well, Daniel Krause, I mean, he's no, we've interviewed him a fair number of times for his other releases, because he was pretty productive for a while. Um, <laughs> but he, his middle grade, the the Teddy saga, mm-hmm. I thought that he was gonna lighten it up a bit. I thought that it was gonna, he was gonna drift away from some of like the eerie and the dark subject matter or tendencies of the plot and he didn't it's still <laughs> you know he was still um it was still a little dark it's still like a little like oh my goodness like it just <laughs> it was entertaining but I was like I even confronted him I was like what business do you have writing this stuff for like a younger audience like this for like 10 to 14 year olds and he he was just he made a good point he was like you know I mean if they don't want to read it they can put it down he's like they could stop he's like you know if if it's scary it's like it's it's a book it's a story and and you know he's mm-hmm. like you gotta give them a little more credit and I'm like you know I guess that's a good point <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's, well, like, it's, it's just like adults if you don't want to read anymore you don't have to finish it you can put it down well on on that note actually I mean I feel like kids can handle a whole lot of creepy yeah. and scary and stuff partly because I feel like they don't have context for it (laughs) like yeah 
I mean, wandering through a scary forest, a kid can feel scared, like, uh, I don't like the dark and I'm worried about monsters, but it's different than an adult doing and thinking like, maybe there's a serial killer here, you know, like it's slightly (laughs) different. Um, And I think that especially with with Daniel Krauss, that's his name, right? I've met him several times, but I'm terrible at names. Um, (laughs) His his books are teddy bears and not humans. Mm -hmm. And so you can get away with a whole lot with teddy bears that you probably couldn't with kids. And actually in fantasy, you can get away with a whole lot more than you could in a contemporary book because usually kids, like, I mean, like you've said a couple of times, I feel like kids have fun in fantasy books because um, the children in them have more tools to work with than kids do Mm. in the real world. A lot of times they have like magic or they have like some cool object or whatever else. And so they can go up against some of the challenges in the story that a contemporary kid wouldn't be able to, because they don't have the same tools, I guess. And so you can see a kid empowered by magic and they can face up to those scary adults or to whatever the monster is that you wouldn't be able to do quite the same way in a contemporary setting. Yeah, no, that's a good point too, or how you just use those tools, you use that freedom. That's, you know, the resources that you are kind of allowed to use or, you know, you got, you're allowed to do whatever you want. It's your, you know, when you're writing your <laughs> book, but it's like, it's like a different, you know, it's like a different vibe. It's a different energy about it. And it's a different, uh, you know, cause when you're thinking of the audience, it's like, that's so true. It's, you know, they don't, they don't have those tools, but you know, you can, you can add that to the adventure and that, you know, that definitely makes it also um, just as appealing because yeah, I, you know, when I read the middle grade books, I, I think, you know, I kind of worry about like, like, especially with the fart quest ones, I was like, Oh God, it's going to be like so dumb or whatever, but no, it was actually pretty good. So I was, you know, and it's, it's just kind of goes to speak to how the different genres and the different age groups, you can open that, that many more doors and Mm -hmm. explore different ways. So that's really cool that you just, you know, you were finally able to like make this happen and, you know, challenge yourself and create something that you ended up like I'm sure you're proud of it but it almost like you know it gives you like a new level to your experience as an author so like mm-hmm. do you think that is there going to be more Evie are you is this going to be a series or are you gonna are you thinking about doing more um middle grade books in the future yeah I mean I think so I think that I'm still mostly in like older space, but I would love to write more Evie books. I mean, I would love to write more middle grade books because it's such a fun space to be in, but it would, it's the, the side thing that I'm doing rather than the yeah, right. thing that I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. I actually wanted to say um, to your point, I feel like you can tell the same story to any age group of readers. You can tell the exact same story to a middle grade reader as you could to a YA reader, to an adult reader. It's just that you would have different elements come to the forefront of each one mm-hmm, like you mm-hmm. I some of my favorite books uh that are middle grade are like um when you trap a tiger or like a monster calls which are kids dealing with like really difficult stuff and so it's not like there are topics that are off limits for middle graders but the way that they're handled and how yeah. intense it is and all of that is different based on the age group you're working with so yeah I think it's cool that you can you can do anything you want pretty much but you have a, a different way of telling the story. Yeah. Cause if you want to be successful in appealing to the age group in question, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you're doing it right. <laughs> it's understand- yeah. It's understandable that, you know, maybe a, a middle grade book won't be as, won't come off the same way to the age group that, for which it's not intended. What do you like best about writing for like middle grade? And like, what do you like best about 
writing for young young adult and has have like your feelings about it those preferences like were they did they come up right away did you kind of like now that you've had some time to like kind of marinate on the experience like how just want to kind of like explore um you know how you think about comparing those two experiences Sure. Um, I mean, as I said, my favorite thing about middle grade is voice and like the quirky, fun, whimsical nature to it. Um, And I think my favorite thing about YA is that it's not as dark as adults. Like, I feel like the end of a YA book, uh, there's at least the light left on. Like you can you can definitely grapple with really difficult things in YA and it's not all uh, fun and games all the time. Um, but usually things resolve in a satisfying way and it's hopeful, if not perfect. Um, and sometimes it can be even really depressing with just like one light left on. Yeah, right. <laughs> but um, I mean, in adult books, it's, it's, you know, anything's fair game. So that's one thing I really like about YA is that you end up, I like telling happy stories. I like telling stories with a happy ending or even a bittersweetly happy mm-hmm. ending. Um, and I feel like that's expected in that for that age group a little bit. And so I feel more comfortable doing it. Like the book that I'm, I'm writing the sequel to she who writes the storm right now and making some decisions about who dies and who doesn't and (laughs) who, how things go down. And I was having a fun conversation with my editor about this. And she was like, you know, if you do ABC, I think you're pushing this book a little bit too far into the adult space. And I'm like, Oh, you're right. Light <laughs> still has to be on at the end. of yeah, right. <laughs> So it's actually something that I like because I like having stories end happily. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that's probably a struggle with a lot of authors who they like, you know, maybe they wanted to go a certain way, or maybe there was like certain paths that, or character arcs that they, maybe they were a little attached to, but then they had kind of had like take a couple steps back because it's like, Oh wait, well, this might not work here like or yeah like how you said like well this is a little too uh you know 18 plus or whatever <laughs> like <laughs> however you want to like get that age cut off so like would you have any advice to someone who is thinking or in the process or thinking about making like a similar shift either middle grade published to YA or YA published you know shifting over to trying out middle grade audience like do you have anything that maybe resonated with you that you would, you would recommend or any other advice? I mean, first and foremost is read a whole lot in the genre, read a whole lot of books that are similar to the type of thing that you would like to write. I mean, because there's a huge spectrum just even within middle grade of what a middle grade book is. Cause I mean, my books are on the same shelf as fart quest, but they're definitely <laughs> for different ages of readers. Right. Right. My, right. Uh, my six-year-old is reading fart quest, but she's not allowed to read my book yet. Oh, okay. Um, but I mean, just because of length, it wouldn't be a successful read for her. She's not quite ready for it. Um, sure. It's definitely for the upper end of uh, middle grade readers. But um, yeah, just read really deeply and then get really good beta readers who, if you have friends who write in those genres, who might be able to help you with genre conventions. And then also reading about tropes and things that are in those genres you don't accidentally Mm. fall into those holes I mean tropes in of themselves are not a bad thing the uh, tropes are tropes because they resonate and people use them a lot because it's really really easy to tell a story using those conventions and that people identify with them Mm -hmm. however if you lean too hard into tropes or if you don't 
uh, or if you accidentally retell a story that's been told a million times and it sounds and is flavored exactly the same way, then that's a problem too. So just make sure you know what you're getting into. Um, writing is a business. And so you have to do your market research. Mm-hmm. You have to know exactly what it is you're getting into and um, not what you're up against because I don't feel like it's competitive in the same way a lot of other businesses are. It is competitive, but it's not like you pit it against all the other authors in the world. Sure. Um, yeah. It's, but you do need to know what's out there so that when you write, you're not being derivative or like, yeah, for sure. So did you, what, did you read a lot of books like that? And like, what kinds of authors or books did you um, read while you were getting started off with writing this one? Or maybe, I don't know how long um, Baker's Guide took you from first page to last page, but or how many pro- times yeah, right. <laughs> I had to write it from first page to last Right, page. like if that was a long process, like how did that go? Like, did you did you go back? Were you reading other authors or doing all the research the whole time? Like, how did that go? Um, I mean, I drew really heavily on books that I'd read as a child. Like my favorites from, I think Evie Baker, uh, I mean, A Baker's Guide to Rubber Pie, it feels a little bit like kind of those older books, but it is really important to read newer stuff. I mean, I read through Percy Jackson and like the mm. Mysterious Benedict Society and The Girl Who Drank the Moon. Oh gosh, I love that book. And like I tried to read um like When You Trap a Tiger. I read all the Newberries from the last, you know, couple of years before and and I tried to take from them I mean, the thing I was trying to learn was how to tell that more linear story. Like I mentioned before, I feel like my brain goes, it explodes. I'm an explosion writer where I'm like, and I need this and this and this and this all to make this story make sense. And you can't do that. And you probably shouldn't do that in any book, but, (laughs) but you can't like connect the dots the same way you can in a middle grade book. And so, I mean, I just, I read the books that got the most attention and I'm, I'm having fun digging deeper now that I, I have a little bit more time to read a little bit more further in the genre. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, mm-hmm. So then you got, we can talk about uh, She Who Rides the Storm a little bit if you want to give a brief synopsis of that. And like, cause I know we've been talking like a lot of uh, comparing your processes. Cause I don't know, I guess, I guess I just think it's really interesting of like kind of digging the author's brain when they make, you know, it's a challenge to themselves, but when they, you know, it, it's a whole new ball game, right? It's when you're switching age groups and then especially since you're working on the sequel like we could talk about you know about that a little bit more because it's like I was going to ask what other projects are you working on and so you already like kind of did a little segue into that (laughs) (laughs) yes so she who writes the storm is a fantasy heist it's probably a little bit more like mistborn than it is six of crows I it's about four teenagers who are all trying to get to the same cursed sword in an ancient shapeshifter's tomb it takes place in a world where um, shapeshifters used to rule the land. They uh, could steal people's souls for power. And about 500 years earlier, a warlord came up who had this special magic and she found a way to get rid of all the shapeshifters. And um, one of the main characters, Mateo, is an archaeologist who has this wasting sickness who believes if he finds an untouched shapeshifter tomb, he might be able to find a cure for what he um, for his sickness. Mm. Um and then there are three other characters. There's Anway, who's trying to find the murderer of her brother, um, and it's connected to the tomb. And there's Knox, who's trying to flee the current warlord because he used to be one of his her soldiers. Um, mm. And she's guarding the tomb, and he needs to help Anway get in. And then there's um, Leah, who is also one of these devoted um, – all of these warriors are called devoted, and she runs away as well. So they're all trying to get to this sword and are not friends with each other, all of them. And it's – it's really, really fun to write from all these different points of view and to have uh, characters like come 
uh, clashing against each other. You see the effect of what one character has done and another mm. character's POV, but the character doesn't know what happened. And, mm-hmm. oh, it's just so much fun. Um, it's it's definitely a much bigger, uh, like more complicated, lots of different moving parts type of a story where everything comes together in the end, where all of the characters are in the same room finally. And it's it, it was really fun to write. <laughs> I love that. I love how you name dropped Miss Bourne because in the book club that I was in, that was like, all the books that we read, I think it was over the course of a year together. We all came to, when we voted, that what ended up being like our favorite was Mistborn. And it was so like, I've read one or two of other Brandon Sanderson works. And I'm just like, oh, I guess he's just talent, that talented because I enjoyed everything, you know, other things. But mm-hmm. I love that you dropped Mistborn because I feel like there's not a lot of I don't hear I don't hear that name drop a lot I guess that it was oh, really? just a, it was a pretty it was a compelling uh story and um I just remember it was one of those where like how you alluded to before we left the light on it was like you know it parts were how it ended parts were very sad but it was also like I was okay with it mm-hmm. <laughs> like I can't remember being angry about any of the choices that uh Brandon Sanderson made um you know as he wrapped that up mm-hmm. so that's very cool that's you know I'll I'll have to add that to my my to read list because um it also reminds me of another story another trilogy I just finished uh the Age of Darkness trilogy by Katie mm-hmm. Rose Poole kind of reminds me of that like all these these young people kind of working towards the same goal but they don't always know each other but they're like connected and you learn later how they're connected and then you know how you said oh at the end they're all like in the same room and it's like whoa like finally mm-hmm. it's like you're, you're you're tugging the reader along this whole time and then finally like there's that satisfaction gratification but then you're like is it is it a good thing or is it gonna like you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's like where, where where's this gonna go from here um no that's really cool i i like those types of like i i, I think i'm just kind of a sucker for like character development and mm-hmm. it's like you know even if uh, something is even if something's not super plot driven if it's character driven i feel like there's still like a lot to say there and there's a lot of entertainment um value there as well and just you know, depending on the type of character can help the reader connect with them to on a certain level that maybe the plot focused stories can't. So can we talk about your podcast? I was looking yeah. into it a little bit. I think that's so cool. Can you, can you tell us more about it? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I started it, I think like four years ago, my goodness, it's been a long time. Um, <laughs> but I, it's just me and actually my writing group, we decided we wanted to give back to the community a little bit. And we do first chapter critiques for aspiring authors. We'll just do one per episode. We don't do it every single episode anymore. We're doing it sometimes <laughs> because, mm-hmm. um, we have guests come on the show to talk about writing craft. Um, like this next show, we have Kristen Siccarelli who wrote, uh, the last Namsara. She's an international bestselling author. And then the episode after that, we have V Schwab coming on super excited about that just to talk about something that um, they worked on or something that was important to them about the books that they just wrote to help aspiring authors learn craft. Mm -hmm. Um, When I was in the query trenches, when I was first learning how to write, because I feel like I learned how to write down there, I'd written my first book, but I didn't have any like 
author friends or like people who could read my book and tell me what I was doing wrong. I got a lot of professional feedback from like agents saying, you know, this is almost there, but this is not great. This part right Mm -hmm. here. And, and I just, I learned how to revise by getting professional feedback. And it was very different from like the lay reader feedback that I got from like my mother or my friends, (laughs) very different. And it was really helpful. And so I want to be able to give that kind of feedback to people who are really struggling trying to get an agent or trying to get a book deal. And so, um, yeah, that's what we do. We talk about writing craft and we do those, those first chapter critiques and, um, we have a lot of fun doing it. So that's, that's so cool. And I feel like that's such, yeah, like you're, you're, I mean, it is pretty targeted. It's like a very niche audience, but also Mm -hmm. you're trying to use, you're almost trying to pay it forward. You're trying to use what you've learned and put it out there so that even people who don't know how, like how to how to get that kind of help can hopefully find you and, and be so like, how, how do you get, do you um, put like, how do you get people to like submit their work or is there like a community that you already pull from that you, that, you know, is it easy to find people to do that kind of service for like, so um, the way we've done it is we have guests come on the show and we do a guest announcement where we say this amazing guest is coming on our show. And then they post about how they're giving it a free first chapter critique. And so we have people come to our show and submit their chapter because they're a fan of the author. And then they keep listening to us because we're awesome. But I mean, I hope they keep listening to us. We also, um, before COVID did conferences and stuff like that. So we would try and get a big name in the room with us so that people would come and listen. And then they right. would listen to us and be like, oh, this is okay. I'll, I'll keep right. this. <laughs> so, you gotta do what you got to do. Give them a little taste and just say, yeah. like, oh, come back. <laughs> exactly. That's but cool though. I love that. It's been really fun. We like doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that like there's, you know, you get um satisfaction out of it too. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just to be able to help people and to use your experiences to kind of to help others. I think that's so cool. Um, what's the podcast called? It's called Lit Service Podcast. It's supposed to be play on lip service, but apparently some people don't get that. Really? So. I got I got that right away. You were smart. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> but um yeah, That's we so actually, I don't think, I think their first chapter critique submissions open, not for Victoria Schwab, but for our next guest after that, who we haven't announced yet. So maybe they're not open yet, but they will be soon. Okay. I actually have gotten <laughs> lots and lots of feedback just from people that we have critiqued for who are really grateful. And I'm really glad that it's helpful because I mean, I feel like any feedback you get is subjective. Like it's so hard to do anything creative because some people will like something and other people yes. won't like it. And Um, the way we try to critique is in the most non-prescriptive way possible. We try not to tell people what to do, but just things that they might want to look at that could be landing wrong. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think any providing any sort of like constructive criticism you always have, because as you know, it's, you know, it's their baby and you Mm want to be sensitive to that, but while also being like, just explain rather than saying like your way off, just saying like, no, there's potential here. Like keep going. Like if, you know, you wording it like the correct way to where to where they really it really comes off you know like no I'm doing this to help you like I just want I want this to be awesome too I want to see Mm -hmm. you succeed and you know all that good stuff so um no that's really cool and I bet yeah you've probably had to learn new uh communication skills just by (laughs) by doing that type of stuff too because you know you're you're probably using your do you use your experiences from receiving constructive criticism to kind of like how you approach these, uh, these authors and, and these little sessions? 
Absolutely, I do. Actually, um, I used to be in, I'm one of Brandon Sanderson's students. Um, I took his class a while back. And sometimes when he's feeling nice, he claims me. He actually blurred mm-hmm. the right to the storm. But um, when I was in his class, he taught us a, a feedback loop where he said, you should say all of the nice things for two minutes. And then you should say all of the things that might need some a second look. And you don't have to say how to fix it. You don't have to say what should be there instead or how mm-hmm. you would write it. What you say is, you know, I stopped and was confused about this. Or I, uh, I didn't understand what was going on here. Or this didn't make sense based on what I read before. Instead of saying, you know, it would be better if. And um, that has actually served me really well. Because um, I've had writing groups that just like killed me. It's so mm. hard sometimes when you have when you have feedback from people that just cuts. Um, yeah. But using that method. And that's actually part of why we did it is we wanted to demonstrate good writing critique ability. Cause if you want to be a writer, you absolutely have to learn how to do that so that you mm-hmm. can give honest and helpful feedback to other writers. Cause that's part of being in the writing community is being a collaborative person who's constantly helping other people and also receiving help and um, being able to do it in a way that's positive is really important. So it's a touchy thing that I feel like every writer needs to learn how to do. And it, it has definitely opened my eyes a whole lot, just trying to to be a positive, yeah, a positive force. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you don't want to scare p- other authors or, or aspiring writers off from approaching you and <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> like yeah. asking for, yeah, asking for feedback. Um, so then what, have you found any... Um, any common mistakes like amongst like aspiring writers when they're first starting out? Is there any like one thing that you notice like they're constantly doing that, you know, or you find yourself repeat, like repeating yourself when you're giving your advice? Yeah. I mean, I think two things that I see very frequently in chapters are um, people trying to describe things from the outside instead of from the inside. So they'll, it'll be like in first person. And when you're in first person, you have access to your characters, everything they feel, everything they Mm -hmm. think, everything that they see around them, which will tell you so much about a character, the things that they notice and the way that they describe them. But a lot of times people, even in first person, will try to describe what is happening as if they're watching this person on TV. So you don't have access to the thoughts or feelings or even like the way things feel or taste or touch. So I, I, I kind of skew towards using a deeper POV myself. And so sometimes I have to pull myself back, but mm. I just feel like we end up with a, a slightly shallow POV that could be uh, better utilized to, to help a reader identify with your character or mm. to be more grounded in what's happening around your character. And then the second thing I see a lot of is people trying to use questions to move a story forward instead of using actual like plot devices to move a story forward, they'll be like, and then I went through the door and then they won't tell you what was through the door. Um, When, when it's actually more interesting to know what's through the door and how it affects your character, if that Mm. makes sense. So like mysteries don't drive a story forward at the beginning because you don't know enough about the characters to care. Whereas if you know a lot of information about a character and then something scary walks in you already have enough context to know why it's scary and and that's more interesting than like, right where you're kind of like don't know wait what's a going second on. Like, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah oh that's that's interesting I, I like the way that you put it that where it's like you know I, I can tell that you've you, you know you're getting more experience like you know from this podcast that you know how to better articulate and explain and then you're also picking up on things that, um, cause I, yeah, when I just wasn't, I was just curious as to like, you know, do you see any like common, uh, common mistakes that people always make? Cause I don't know if like, 
the people who come to you, have they like, I don't want to assume that they've gone through like a bunch of writing workshops or taking coursework or even have like a bachelor's or master's in creative writing or anything like that. But like, I imagine it would have been that kind of education or, or practice would have been much different than what, you know, them actually, you know, sitting down at their desk or computer or whatever and going for it. And then having to find a community such as yours to, to kind of get that feedback from. So um, are a lot of these aspiring authors, are they like, do they have a background in writing or do they have a background from like everywhere? And then they decided like, right, they've always wanted to write and that they're getting down to it. Are um, the people who are submitting to us? You yes. Mean? Yeah. Um, you know, we do it blind. So I don't okay. know backgrounds behind people because we okay. try really hard to be not objective because sometimes we'll get oh, like a sure. hundred submissions and we try not to know who it is so that we don't like accidentally choose all our friends or whatever that makes a lot of sense now that I think about it because it's like yeah because you don't know you don't want that to like kind of you don't don't want to necessarily my my view yeah right like you don't want to like because if you know someone's got like an MFA you might raise the bar Mm -hmm. too high or that might you know versus if you didn't know anything about them at all you know the only time we've ever asked for more information is when we did well and actually we didn't even ask for the information because we knew we did um critiques at teen author bootcamp which is a really cool conference for um teenage writers and we did change uh the way we critiqued based on the the age of our writers yeah um (laughs) but aside from that we try to be pretty positive anyway um and so I mean, we treat anybody who comes into our inbox as if they're somebody who's serious about writing and is there to get an actual critique, but not trying to tear it apart. Sure, sure. Yeah, absolutely. You gotta, <laughs> yeah, like I said, you kind of like, you don't want to hurt feelings, You're just, but you're also hoping that they're ready to to hear it, you know, I mm-hmm. guess that could be challenging too. Um, so, okay, we're wrapping up on our time here. Um, Caitlin Sangster. Thank you so much. Do you have a, you have a website, social media that you want to plug real quick? I do. I have, um, my website is just CaitlinSangster.com. Um, if you Google me with probably any spelling of the name Caitlin, you'll probably find me. <laughs> um, and then um, my social media, I'm on Instagram at Kate Sangster. So Baker's Guide to Robert Pie, it's available now. And so is uh, She Who Rides the Storm. And yeah, I'll add it to my two read lists. And then I'll, I'll keep an eye on when that uh, sequel's coming out. Because like I said, it, it kind of reminds me of some other stuff I read and enjoyed. So that'd be really cool to, awesome. to pick it up. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This is fun. Okay, and that was with Caitlin Sangster um, talking about both of her books, one, The Baker's Guide to Robert Pie, and uh, She Who Rides the Storm. Um, this next one, we've got Aaron Reynolds. It's a shorter interview because this was right after his panel discussion. And, um, you know, it was a busy day at C2E2, but we always like to uh, meet with these writers, authors, and have a chat with them no matter how much time they um, they have to spare. Uh, and his series, his middle grade series is called Fart Quest. Um, Why well, I thought it was going to be a little lame, a little silly, um, which it is a little silly, but it's definitely not lame. It was very enjoyable. And um, he was enjoyable to speak with it's and i don't know maybe we'll have him back on again in the future um but without further ado here is aaron reynolds so we've got aaron reynolds here um author of the fart quest series we just got out of a panel so i feel like you might be repeating yourself all good Megan. All good. we're gonna uh do a quick 10 minute uh q a here um 
So thank you very much for make, making some time. Yeah. You got a busy weekend and you want to do all the fun stuff too, aside from your work stuff. So I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Um, so Fart Quest, I think you talked about in the panel too, like this isn't your first series, right? This is my first middle grade series. Okay. Yes. What other, uh, and then you wrote for like younger age groups before? Yeah, most of my books are picture books okay. uh, for younger kids. I've also done some, I would say middle grade graphic novels. Okay. So, um, so I've written for that age group yeah. before, um, but graphic, writing for a graphic novel is so dialogue heavy and it's very, the narrative form is very different than, yeah. than this. Uh, so then so, what yeah. kind of like, uh, what made you switch gears to um, a writing for this age group or maybe this story in general of, uh, you know, this like wizard and his two classmates have to go on a quest because, you know, they're, they're in training and they have to go on a quest and they decide to take matters into their own hands and do the brave thing because they're trying something to prove, you know, did, you, yes. did that just feel right for a middle grade or what came first, the story or like the ambition for the age uh, group? I think the... I, the, the desire to write something for middle graders uh -huh. came first. Um, I had written mostly picture books, graphic novels, and kids were asking me, kid, fourth and fifth graders were asking me for older books. They yeah. said, you know, Aaron, we, we've been reading your picture books. We've read Creepy Carrots since we were a little kid. My mom's, you know, I still read Creepy Pair of Underwear. I love it, <laughs> but um, I, I'm like, I'm craving a chapter book now. And, and then when I go to, find chapter books, there's no Aaron Reynolds mm -hmm. chapter books. Like, mm -hmm. what's up with that? Yeah, yeah. So um, I was like, whoa, okay. That's, I mean, I loved that they were, I mean, they were like a little aggressive about it, but also <laughs> like, like we demand Aaron Reynolds chapter books. And I was like, all right, I need to, I need to really take that seriously. But I mean, I was a little nervous about it because it's a whole different style of writing, a whole different approach. Um, I was like, what if they love my picture books and then they wind up hating my yeah. <laughs> my middle grade? But but it, just the idea that they would want to grow with Aaron Reynolds' books. Yeah. Like that to me was, yeah, like that, I, need to, I need to at least try. Oh, yeah. of course. I bet that's like super flattering and yeah. like touching and there's like, and it's even more pressure that, you, I'm sure you put pressure on yourself either way, but I'm sure there was more pressure on yeah. you. Like, no, yeah. like, you can't like, let them down. Gotta get it right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, so what yeah. was like the most, like two-part question, like what was the biggest challenge of switching gears or to, to take on this new endeavor? And then maybe like what was like your favorite part of it that maybe you didn't expect to get out of it? Yeah, I mean the, the challenge with, okay, so the challenge with writing a picture book is that you have this entire story to tell and you have like 300 words, which is nothing. So, so every word counts. Yeah. When you're writing something more long form, like a middle grade or, or even a YA, you um, you have a lot more words, and every word isn't so precious. But your your character arc has to be so much more complex. Your story arc has to be so much more complex. The, the stories have to the characters have to go on a journey that's much more complicated than than with a picture book. So um, so just getting that right and feeling like okay their journey is expansive enough, it's rewarding enough, it's challenging enough, the payoff at the end is big enough. Like, it, there was just a ri different rhythm to it than, than something for younger kids, which was exciting but challenging in yeah. its own way. Yeah. Um, what I loved about it is, you know, this series is my love letter to Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's, it's my love letter to D&D. &D. My, if my fifth grade self knew I had a 
fantasy series out, he would he would crap himself. Yeah. So it's <laughs> the idea that I can take all the things that I love about fantasy that I find inspiring about the game of Dungeons and Dragons, um, all the wonderful tropes of fantasy that, that we all look to, those of us that love fantasy and know, and play with them and twist them and make them funny and tongue-in-cheek and, uh, and still take these young characters on an epic journey that yeah. it, it is a comedy. It's a right, comedy right. series. Yeah. But it's still epic in its own way it's got it's these characters have real heart journeys that they yes. have to go on and 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 journeys of self-discovery and coming of age that right. they have to do amidst all the fart jokes and goofiness yeah. so <laughs> that so. was one thing that i was like so i wasn't sure um about how it would feel like going in i was a little hesitant i'm like yeah it's middle grade it's like not my age group that i'm like usually read but then it's also like the book's called Fart Quest. So I'm like, okay, like, I, I have sort of, like, preconceived, like, ideas of right. what it might be about. But I'm, like, pleasantly surprised I finished the first one. I'm reading the second one right now. It's, yeah. it's not, yeah, there's, like, potty humor, but it's not, like, juvenile per se. It's, like, yeah. it is to an extent. You, you yeah. throw it in there because it's a comedy and because it's, like, you know, because of the character, it's he, you know, his nickname is Fart because he chooses, that's the spell he yeah. chose because he thought it was awesome. And yeah. it's like, yeah, no, that's totally, like, the mentality of this age group. But then also, like, no, they, like, kind of how they discussed in the panel, like, there is grief. There is, like, things that happen that, that you know, they're challenged and they're they're going through these difficult tasks. And But then you you see, like, oh, you gained, you gained experience points because you you did this, like, you, you achieved this feat or whatever. Yeah. And so I, I was pleasantly surprised that it, there was so much more to it, like, the heart, yeah. the, like, you know... Real world, real world lessons, even though if it's like in a fantasy setting, but yeah. like they're dealing with, they're dealing with things at their age, and and it's like really like scary stuff. It's like it's like some of it, it I imagine is very, you know, like but they're they're handling it. And yeah, it's like I I like I enjoy the characters. I enjoy right. what you're doing with this. Yeah, it, um, it's it's really quick for someone of my age, my reading habits to get through like sure. chapter through chapter through chapter. Yeah. It's really easy, yeah. easy read which I love, easy to digest, very entertaining. Yeah, um, so yeah, I was I was, I was hesitant, but I was like, well, I'm gonna check it out and I'm yeah. glad I did. I, Cause I also looked okay. on Goodreads and it's got really great reviews on Goodreads too. So yeah, so I they, was like, people oh. have, I feel like people are getting it, which is lovely. Yeah. Cause I, we knew going in the name would be a fantastic hook for kids and would be a detriment to it for adults. You know, for, for the, <laughs> the, the adults that don't want their kids to read more Dogman and Captain Underpants yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Letting their kid buy that book with fart in the title. We, we yeah. knew what we were doing with that. And yet, it, that is a great hook for it a is. fourth and fifth grader or a third grader. And, and yet, it was important to me, even when we went in, I knew fart was the hook, but there's got to be good reason. Even the whole... His name is Fart. That's his nickname. Yeah. He wants to be Bartok the Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> That's so important to him. And he's not. He's just Fart because yeah. <laughs> in his nature, he's a goofball. And, yeah. and he he had all these spells open up to him. He could have picked Magic Missile. He could have picked the, you know, the Blinding Sparkle. But he couldn't get past, there's a spell on the page called Gas Attack, yeah. and I must have it because <laughs> that's hilarious. And so thus his nickname. But even at the end of book one, 
he learns to embrace the nickname. Yeah. I mean, he he's a chubby kid, mm. and he's a goofball. Uh -huh. And by the end, he no longer wants to be Bartok the yeah. Brilliant. They're calling him Bartok the Brilliant. And he says, no, I am fart. Yeah, I like that um, arc, too, where it's kind of like, because even the second book, he's like, he hates being called a baby. He hates, they hate being underestimated. It yeah. really gets him. And I think that's totally relatable for yeah. kids this age, too. Yeah. So I, I thought that was really smart to, like, you know, integrate that into his personality. Um, so real quick, uh, one last question before we let you wrap up here. Um, covers? Do you have say in the covers? I um, have response say. Okay. So, <laughs> so we went round and round on these covers. It was really, even round and round on the artists, because we looked at probably, I feel like we looked at about 75 artists oh, when wow. we were scoping okay. out. And s some did good monsters, but they were too serious. Some did good elves and humanoids, but they, we knew it had to be somebody who was funny. Their art had to be funny. Ult in an ideal world, it had to be somebody who knew Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, right, I mean, it, right, it, right. Just the sensibility yeah, of yeah. that. And so um, when we landed on that, actually the first book, he did an entirely different cover. Okay. And it just wasn't singing. It just, and I, we had kind of all signed on to it. I was trying to be good team player and be like, okay. Yeah. But I kind of pulled my editor aside and said, this cover isn't doing it. Yeah. It, it's not... It does not embody, I would not want to pick this book up if I yeah, saw that cover. Yeah. And love my editor. She said, let's go back to the drawing board. And so we completely redesigned it. That's good. That's looked awesome. at it from scratch. The artist was great and came up with this whole, we said, we need a logo. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something that just boom. And yeah. uh, and so he came up with this whole different approach, and it, yeah, it's so and much it does better. it does seem like it's it's fitting for that age group too, it's like perfect. just the, yeah. the font choice and the colors and the illustrations. Yeah, it's, that little skull in the yeah. queue, like that was it's not fun. part of the first one. But yeah. yeah, it was all all came out. Yeah, and book three, uh, the cover is even better. Book three comes out February first. Yes, yes. It's called uh, Fart Quest One. It's just Fart Quest. Fart Quest Two is the Barf of the Bedazzler. Fart Quest 3 is called The Dragon's Dookie. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Fart, Pan, and Moxie have to go on an epic adventure to recover a very valuable magic item that is buried in a pile of dragon poop. Oh, gosh. Of course. So, um, <laughs> so it's uh, it's another fun, goofy yeah. journey. But but the darkness starts to roll in, too. There's, there's, there's hints of, of things with Pan in book two that start to come full yeah. bloom in book three and then ultimately really rear their head in book four. And there is a darkness that that even is driving them on these quests that they don't even know about okay. until some of these things start to reveal themselves. So Interesting. I'm excited to see yeah. that start to unfold as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, okay, so before we wrap up, you go, are you on social media, Twitter, Instagram, all that good yeah. stuff? Yeah, website you can find me is Aaron, Aaron-Reynolds, that's a hyphen, Aaron-Reynolds.com. You can find all my, all my social media connections there i'm perfect on instagram twitter perfect Facebook, well thank you so much aaron yeah. reynolds fart quest you can read books one and two now third one comes out february 1st next year 2022 um thank you so much thank you for taking the time and enjoy the rest of your day Yay. here at c2e2 nerd catina yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, there you have it. We've got um, Aaron Reynolds and his Fart Quest series and Caitlin Sangster and her uh, Baker's Guide to Robber Pie. Um, both books are available now. Actually, Aaron has a series, so there's, I think, about three Fart Quest books in the series that are available. And um, Caitlin uh, has other books, a trilogy available, and uh, She Who Rides the Storm came out about you know, back in September, 2021. So lots of works that you could check out, um, stuff to get around to. And, um, you know, if you want their social media, their website information, just look at the show notes and, you know, as always rate, review, and subscribe to the nerd cantina show. Check out my book reviews on the nerdcantinashow.com. And as always, you can reach out to me directly if you need any, you know, book recommendations and the like, thanks for listening and come back.